0: This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Wednesday, 22nd of February, 2023. Markets in pretty bad shape after a very ugly session in the U.S. yesterday. We've talked a lot about the tension between these higher yields we're seeing and the markets not really sitting up and taking notice, and they did so yesterday, finally. Don't know what the uh, approximate factor was. We can talk a little bit about margin pressures, uh, earnings from Home Depot and Walmart, but uh, the case is that we fell out of that range. Uh, we've been talking about after we sort of teased some key support levels in the S and P, and we closed just below the the psychologically important four thousand level on the cash index. The worst session I believe it was in two months, and you can see there on the chart on slide two that we're looking at the uh, the two hundred day moving average coming in, not a whole lot lower here, maybe a percent and a half lower or so, and there's a rising trend line from those lows. At least on the future, the cash index may look slightly differently. But uh, it was an ugly session, Peter, to say the least. Uh, we also have these uh, sort of this overlay of geopolitical concerns. No huge development on that front outside of a belligerent speech from from Putin yesterday. But uh, yeah, well, what's your what's your feel here after after yesterday's uh, uh, pretty uh, maybe almost a watershed session? Set some downward momentum into into uh, swing into the swing here. You can see on slide
1: two that the very high equity duration themes so in other words those with very high equity valuation next gen medicine e-commerce bubble stocks etc we've talked about that before which have been rallying this year obviously are the ones that are most sensitive to interest rates i think the overall market is has become less sensitive to interest rates but of course now we have had a 50 basis point or more move in the u.s 10-year yield in a rather short time period that of course impacts the discount yield on on cash flow so of course you see an impact on equities but i think the The real, the real theme to track here is still the uh, the March impression. We'll come back to that. I just want to highlight as well. Look at the top, defense stocks up almost one percent for the session. We highlighted it the other day. This is a week about geopolitical risk. We have we coming up in two days uh, at the one year uh, one year day for the Russia's invasion of of Ukraine. And I think we had. And I said to you, I think this is weird. I mean. China can talk all about, they want about you know being a peacemaker, etc., but they're not flying to a European capital. They're not flying to a U.S. capital. They're flying to Moscow to to meet with Putin, and they say their uh, their ties with Russia is is rock solid. I mean, I think we we I think people are naive if we think that the, that you know we can go back to the old days. I mean, we are beginning to tear apart the unconstrained globalization that we built for, for fifty years, and. Um, I'm actually a bit uh, disappointed, John, that we didn't put in that uh, wonderful, uh, I think, chart from The uh, the Economist that uh, Steen circulated internally, uh, something showing that, you know, how wages in China has just galloped uh, to be uh, right now in dollar terms four times higher than the rest of Southeast Asia. and. I think it it really underscores the point that you know reshoring is happening at a blistering pace here because of political pressures, also the U.S. sanctions and semiconductors. We talked about the Japanese company in Georgia, uh the other day, and now and and now you have these uh, this competitiveness that that has been eroded for China. So reshoring will just continue at an ever faster pace. I think.
0: Yeah, critical on all fronts. In that story, I read uh, the headline from Wall Street Journal. Uh, yesterday, one one of the key components. There was also an article, and if I remember to, I'll try to tweet it out. It was a, a really damning article about the state of the U.S. defense industry and especially uh, that the, the number of companies that sort of source Pentagon sources a uh, product from is, is very few in number, something like these five, uh, uh, maybe you call them dinosaurs, uh, if you will. There's been some huge weapons programs that have been uh, fiascos and white elephants and have resulted in no investment. So just a word of caution. I think the, uh, the whole... Industry could do with a shakeup, maybe some breaking up of these companies, or at least some new entrants to provide some innovation. Uh, some really ugly stories in in that article, uh, and, and you know things like super expensive weapon programs that take forever to develop. In the meantime, you know we can't produce more than a couple of weeks of uh, uh, of the Ukraine war for artillery shells if that is suddenly the need. So this, uh, you know, the ability to produce and produce en masse is, is simply not present like it was back in uh, in prior cycles. Just an interesting perspective and, and a word of caution on defense isn't just defense. There are also some nuances in what's going in there, and I'm sure that defense basket is also a bit global in nature. At least includes some European names. So that's that's an important uh, perspective as well. But talking a little bit about margin uh, pressures and. That propped up, uh, cropped up as a theme yesterday with uh, these two interesting big retail names and, and quite different segments of the retail space, Walmart and Home Depot reporting. I don't know if that's what you're going to uh, talk about with this slide on slide three on uh, margin compression, but it's uh, it's an important theme.
1: Yeah, I think we, we'll, we'll talk about Walmart and, and Home Depot earnings in more specific details when we get to the stocks to watch today. Uh, but but the, you're right. I mean, the, the especially the, the comments from Home Depot about raising salaries for hourly frontline staff to the tune of one billion. I think that was approximately seven percent pay raise uh, fits pretty well with what we see here in the from the Atlanta Fed wage tracker, the, the, which tracks in this case the U.S. median wage growth, and it's still hovering around six percent. So you can say that Home Depot is just you know raising wages a little bit slightly above the the median. In the in the u.s labor market but it is an ongoing theme we, we've talked about it I, I have been on this theme for uh, for quite some time the q4 earnings season was not really the big bang on the margin compression as, as i has expected it continued in the nasdaq 100 companies but not in the s p 500 companies they still uh was keeping up their their margins pretty well but i think with the the wage pressures that we're seeing it's the labor market is still tight I think the Q1 earning season might be the uh, be the the big awakening earning season for investors and um it is extremely difficult when you have the nominal growth sorry the nominal GDP growth of the economy coming down from very high levels that will flow through to to the revenue growth and then when you at the same time have uh, you know those wage pressures and potentially more hot commodity markets we're not seeing that right now but um if we were to see more hot commodity markets because of China then then you would have those two those two fists punching at the uh, the uh, the the stomach of corporate profits, if you will. Sorry for that uh, picture, but um. <laughs> so I think that's uh, that's really the tug of war, and I think that this uh, this margin compression story will come back, uh, uh in, in in Q1 earnings, which we will have in April and May.
0: Yeah, and one area where Europe has really escaped a worse uh, the you know, the worst versions of the disaster that was feared has certainly been in the natural gas and power prices. We've talked a lot about this, and I just think it's it's remarkable to consider. Uh, a benchmark or a milestone like the uh, US uh, front month of natural gas trading below $2. I mean, essentially, one of the world's most important um, commodities and drivers of the economy is almost free uh, in price. This is going to be disastrous, I think, for forward investment. Of course, the forward prices, as we've discussed, are still relatively elevated uh, relative to what one year forward prices have been in the past in the US uh, many years. But uh, just collapsing at the front end there and I think it is a threat to investment. And even with this uh, tremendous drop, and as I put on slide four, I show the the Dutch natural gas price there in blue. Uh, you know, at new lows for the cycle here, but still well above, and you know, at least a multiple or at least a doubling above what would have been the uh, highest or a, a high price in previous years. And you can see something similar in the UK power price, uh, directionally speaking. So. The fact that you've you know thrown huge subsidies into the mix to prevent the worst impact of those very high price periods and the collapsing price is, is, is providing a, a nice tailwind here, but there's still a very big open question for the medium to longer term. I just want to remind, remind listeners that this is still an issue uh, for the longer term, even if locally it's providing some support and specifically the reason to put the UK power price in there. Is to remind that uh, UK services PMI was out yesterday, far stronger than expected, fifty-three point three. That's not really according to the recession playbook there, with the UK economy meant to be one of the world's weakest in the developed world, and sterling responding because it's reinforcing expectations for the Bank of England higher. If you roll forward to slide five, you can see euro sterling uh, dipping well below, uh, not just uh, eighty-nine, but even threatening eighty-eight on this uh, on this report. The eurozone PMIs were more muted. And for that chart, to me, it looks like it's sort of thoroughly put in a range, top now. Unless you're going to get some new negative shocks here, so would it look for it to uh, settle towards that uh, pro- probably towards that 200-day moving average there. Plenty of other small stories in FX. The dollar uh, firm, but not wildly so, on the new highs for the cycle and U.S. Treasury yields that has been a key component of risk off. But we are seeing yields higher elsewhere as well. Uh, well, generally speaking, not everywhere, but but in most uh, places. So the U.S., uh, the Fed now marked it uh, 5.35% up to the peak. And then, uh, uh, again, you, uh, sterling coming in stronger. Yen is, is caught between that that odd tension of these higher yields are fundamentally negative for the yen because yen, uh, Japanese yields don't respond. But all the while, we're waiting for the new incoming governor and whether, and or not whether, but the scale of their policy normalization that is incoming and trying to figure out how much is fair to price there. Kiwi uh, rebounding as they went ahead with a 50 basis point rate hike when the market was leaning for a possibility of a smaller hike because of the disastrous floods there, and their guidance was relatively hawkish, um, still looking for a 5.5% peak policy rate, um, if on a slightly longer timescale. But given where the lean was, that was surprisingly hawkish, and, and Kiwi rebounded quite strongly, especially versus the weak Aussie, where wage price growth for Q4, was slightly below expectations, only 3.3% year-on-year, and uh, the Aussie was weaker as uh, one of the few places where yields actually fell uh, yesterday at the front end of the curve. So a few bits and pieces, uh, Swedish Krona posted new highs uh, against the Euro, uh, but was uh, sort of, uh, you know, braked a little bit. Uh, that move by the risk sentiment swing, still a very impressive Follow through higher generally of late in the Swedish krona. Yeah, but let's get back to this um, these incoming uh, earnings reports and some of the narrative around that. It was it was kind of interesting, Peter. We saw again those two names reporting Walmart and Home Depot, and then uh, Walmart gapped lower and managed to rally all day and close uh, uh, in the green for the day, whereas Home Depot just was shattered, uh, something around around seven percent, and actually fell through its two hundred day moving average uh, as well, a key uh, you know a key technical indicator for something like uh, uh, you know a major equity like that
1: yeah Walmart in the case of Walmart it's it's a it's a consumer it's a consumer staples uh retailer um that sector was bid yesterday was the best performing sector and the consumer discretionary where Home Depot sits was the worst performing uh, sector yesterday I think Walmart I think the outlook was pretty okay I mean they're guiding uh two and a half to three percent revenue growth for the fiscal year for the coming fiscal year the market was at three percent I think their margins are quite stable. I think I don't think Walmart has any troubles uh, navigating and steering through the economy. Uh, although, of course, they are also seeing a little bit of pressure on the uh, on the on the wage a bit. But I would still think that they are still. And I know you uh, you, you have a comment to it, maybe, on Walmart, yeah, yeah, on Walmart. But I just want to say that I still think the substitution effect is still ongoing, and that's a tailwind for Walmart on a relative basis to the other consumer stables retailers out there.
0: Yeah, I don't have a. Uh, a- data on the percentage of Walmart sales that are in this so-called SNAP program, which is used to be called food stamps in the U.S. But those food stamps are adjusted significantly lower. Uh, so I think it's at the end of March, or at least it's upcoming here, uh, for those that are uh, receiving payments. There was a special pandemic era increase in the amounts monthly, and I think it's dropping something like $100, uh, or slightly less than $100 per head. So that becomes a significant impact to the food budget, I would argue, for the lower income clients and customers of a, of a you know, chain like Walmart, and then on the wage front, we we were both looking at an article that showed that they're raising their starting wages two bucks an hour from twelve to fourteen dollars an hour, and that their their general staff had, had seen about a twenty percent raise in their wages since twenty twenty. Although the locally here, their their uh, wages are only set to rise about fifty cents uh, to I believe it was seventeen and a half dollars. Uh, an hour but still that's wage pressure anyway you look at it and you mentioned the, the home depot a billion dollars over a year for increases in wages uh, this year
1: yeah and they also missed on their comparative uh, comparative sales figures uh, down 0.3 percent versus a positive 0.3 percent expected home depot uh, as you can see with those revenue figures of course experiencing a, a significant decline in volume we talked about that uh, about nestle as well also two quarters in a row with uh, declining volumes it is a of course a a concern here um but i think on the other hand an often very good long term indicator of how management is thinking about long term growth and the industry is through dividends because dividends are more sticky every every experienced ceo knows that if you cut your dividends it's it's a very bad signal to investors so you you should always be a little bit more risk aversive in terms of 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 increasing your dividends and 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 home depot did exactly that up 10% and i will say you know shares were down 7% and you know the the stock probably could be under more pressure going back and test those lows from uh, from over half a year ago. I will say though that don't be too negative on Home Depot and try to to um, be too negative on it because this is your prior. Is that this is one of the most successful winning companies in the U.S. modern history, also in the stock market. It's an incredible business. The mode is incredible. I'm absolutely sure that Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, if this company was going to significantly lower levels that they would pull out the Basuga and go for this elephant because this is a very very interesting uh, company and on the other and and also uh, you know family formation has been running low in the US for quite some time but it has accelerated and you also see in the housing starts and permits etc that you know the housing market is still looking pretty uh, pretty healthy in the US despite the high interest rates i don't think home improvement is going away it's just something that you probably not prioritizing at this point in time with the first wave of the inflation and then, of course, we quickly talk about Rio Tinto, the other iron ore miner, which uh, we had BHP reporting the other day, and now we have Rio Tinto. And you remember on the podcast I said on uh, on Monday, I was, yeah, well, no, on Monday that uh, BHP was, uh, you know, they said, are we not really looking into lithium? And I said, doesn't make any sense that they're not looking into lithium. Of course they are. And I said, maybe it's because the price of lithium is so high. So if you're a good trader, you of course you don't want to engage in products at these uh, these prices. And I think Rio Tinto being a little bit more candid and transparent in their way of thinking is said exactly that. They want more lithium mines, but it's basically too expensive right now. And they haven't given up on Serbia. And by that, we mean there's a very, I think Europe's largest or second largest uh, lithium deposit sits in in a very... Beautiful part of uh, Serbia, uh, and uh, I think the country is quite reluctant to, to open up for lithium mining. And then a quick comment as well, Rio Tinto is saying that they're seeing consumption in China rebounding slightly here, but they also say that the economy remains extremely volatile. So I think that's also an interesting signal coming from a company with very good intel on what is happening in the Chinese economy.
0: All right. So that's a check mark on today's earnings watch for Rio Tento. We have the Danish uh, GenMap coming up as well, and NVIDIA. Yeah,
1: so GenMap is after the uh, the European market close, uh, so after uh, 5 o'clock in the afternoon European time, central time, and NVIDIA is after the US market close. And you can see that the uh, revenue expectations and earnings expectations for the quarter that ended in January for NVIDIA, but also the, the this current quarter, we end, which will end in April, very very low expectations there both on the top line and the bottom line and then the market is pricing in that the company will will get back to growth in in the quarter that ends in july so i think that is the that is the key signal we're waiting for And, and the potential upside to the outlook could come for from this um you know increased uh, gambling behavior and speculation again in cryptocurrencies because it lifts crypto mining. And whether NVIDIA wants to talk about it or not, it is part of their business and it is a positive thing for their business if crypto mining uh, accelerates because it, then they sell more GPUs.
0: Well, something needs to happen in crypto for NVIDIA because it's certainly a boring chart to look at, at least. I have no opinion on the the future of the industry Uh, but it does not look pretty from a a chart perspective. Okay, let's roll forward to the macro calendar today. I think the FOMC minutes are likely getting badly out of date. We had that uh, press conference with Powell talking about disinflation. I think that the recent noise and momentum and concerns are all pointing towards uh, worries about wages and and higher yields. So I'm not sure if it's going to play much in this market environment. Uh, We do have – a uh, five-year note auction today, the two-year yesterday, by the way, was uh, way weaker than the prior one, but the prior one was very, very strong. So it's about mid-range in terms of bidding met- metrics relative to the last uh, few years here. So I guess not, not really a, hu- a huge headline generator there, but we have a five-year note auction today and a seven-year auction uh, tomorrow, uh, but just not really heavy on the event risks. And we have to remember, we talked about the geopolitics uh, last couple of episodes, a very heavy note of concern there. What is China's response after this uh, you know, indication and warning from the U.S. side on providing lethal aid to the Russian military? Uh, what are their plans going forward? But don't know. It's a, a key part of the concern, not just to the inflationary realization moment that seems to be arriving here and has this very much on edge all by itself. It's just an added layer on top of that. So I think it's definitely a time for, uh, for pulling in on the risk front, hedging, uh, and staying very careful out there. And we'll see where things stand tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email marketcall at saxobank.com.